0: I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of the Revelation. We are still in Revelation chapter 2. We're making pretty good time. As, a, as someone who is a big fan of reading the Bible slowly, it's difficult to, sometimes for me to get comfortable uh, covering large swaths of uh, Scripture, but... We're making pretty good time. We only have seven of these churches that we're listening to these, uh, the, the message of Jesus to, but we're on, we're on uh, church number four. So here we are. We're leaning into the book of Revelation because in its opening passages are these two fundamental ideas that, that John the Revelator, at listening under the inspiration of the Spirit, hearing from heaven, says this to us that there is a blessing in store for everyone who will, who will read this, hear this, and heed this. So what is, what is, what is laid out for us in the book of Revelation is promised that if we, will, if we will hear it and heed it, we'll be blessed. And we want to be blessed. And the, then repeatedly in each of these messages to these churches, these seven churches, is this line that says, if you have ears to hear Listen to what the Spirit is saying. How many want to listen to the Holy Spirit today? We want to listen to what he is saying. So we come to this believing right now together that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Uh, This is an, an act of your will. You get to decide to believe right now that the Holy Spirit is. You're not making believe. There's a difference, right? We're not making believe. We're deciding to believe. Making believe says, I'm inventing truth. Deciding to believe says, I'm agreeing with truth. Amen. Amen. So we're deciding to agree with truth today, that that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. We know that because he says so. We know that because the text uh, presents itself, that each of these messages to these churches are to specific locations, and yet all of the churches uh, were to read all of these messages. Furthermore, because of the mystical nature that they are presented as these seven lampstands and the seven stars, this idea of seven tells us that that these messages uh, to these churches not only were to be read and heeded by these seven churches, but by the church of every location and every age. That what the Holy Spirit has said to them, he is saying to us today. And so we listen. Just as they heard and heeded, hopefully, so will we. And we will be blessed. Today we we pick up at chapter 2 and verse 18. John uh, writing now as he's hearing the words from Jesus himself. This is what Jesus has to say to the church at Thyatira. Now, I'm going to read this. This, is the, uh, this will be the longest of the messages, so I'll read it through, and then we'll comment on it. Now, I'm going to just say, because I care about you, and I know some of you pretty well, I'm going to just say, simmer down. Listen. Don't. There is some shock. There is some intense there is some intensity to this one. Just lean into it. Everybody say lean into it. Here we go. And to the angel to the angel of the church at Thyatira write the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze says this I know your deeds and your love and your faith and your service and your perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bond servants astray. So that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end to him. I will give authority over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken into pieces, as also I have received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, pardon me, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. The content is intense. So we need to be confident about what concerns are being addressed. What consequences Jesus is really talking about. What is his singular command? Each of these churches have had a at least one singular imperative. Then we need to make sure that we embrace the hope. That is intended by this message. If we're going to be blessed if we heed this, then let us heed it well. Jesus begins by saying, and to the angel of the church at Thyatira. Now, Thyatira was the smallest, the city of these seven churches. Of these seven, it was uh, not necessarily the smallest church, but the smallest of the the cities of the seven. Some argue that that, uh, just even politically, geographically, et cetera, it was the least significant. We don't know a ton about Thyatira, not like we do Pergamum and others so much, but we do have to this church the longest of the messages. Right in the middle of these sevens is this one to Thyatira, and it's the longest. Jesus has more to say. We do know something about the Christian community there that it was, when we have an idea about when it started, and we'll, we'll give you a hint about that in a minute, but. It remained a, a a Christian community remained in Thyatira until they were deported in 1922. So the history of the church there is long. Hey Luke buddy, you can uh, I wasn't quite at purple cloth, but we're, that's okay. We're good there. So one of the things that we we know about them is that they were they had the uh, I always think of the dwarves. Uh, <laughs> Uh, in uh, the movies, there because they, they, tr- they were they were they were like a trade not the trade guild but uh, they they were they were a manufacturing place uh, they and textiles and whatnot and they kind of had a reputation or fame for dyeing they're, they're dyeing not dyeing but dyeing fabric okay they and they were they were they were they, they produced purple cloth it was a big deal. And, and uh, if you read in the book of Acts, when Paul goes over to Asia, and uh, he finds a woman named Lydia who's from Thyatira. Now, she's a worshiper of God. That meant that she had Godward inclinations and probably was, uh, at the time, the only Godward inclination that you could have was leaning toward Judaism. And so she had an interest in, in Judaism. Then she meets Paul, and she is converted, and she is baptized so I don't know, I, don't, I can't say, oh, she was the first Thyatiran convert, but she certainly was early in the process. And so there's a history there, uh, these, these cities being woven together. Now, that's, so that's who it's to. Who it's from is this, from the Son of God. This is the only use of this title in this way in Revelation. From the Son of God. Without being afraid of. Forcing. Melodrama on you. Let me say it again. This letter. Is from. The Son of God. And so we listen to it with with bated breath and holy fear. We listen to these words with both rapture and wonder. And I have to tell you that I personally lean into these words. When I hear from the Son of God, I, 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 I find myself, you know, because I realize that some of you might read ahead and you might meditate a little bit. But by, by and large, I think most of you probably just come and, you know, you listen. And so we've got about a half an hour. But I, I soak in this stuff for four or five days. And i got to tell you, I am messed up by about day three. I, I'm about undone. So I hear from the Son of God, and I, I find myself with near ecstatic meltdown. When I hear that these words are from the Son of God, it, 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 sets the, it sets the whole tone here because that means, among other things, all negotiations are off the table. There is no debate for what follows. All I may do is listen and make haste to obey because the Son of God is speaking. He further describes himself as one who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze. His eyes are those who search and see without limit. And his feet are those who exercise pure and just judgment. And he says in verse 19 to this church, I know your deeds. I'm thankful for how he finishes it, because it almost sounds like I know what you've been up to. Like but he says, I know your deeds and your love. And your faith. And your service. And your perseverance. And that your deeds of late are greater than. Than at first. Okay. I know your deeds. I know your deeds. So friends. What you have done. And what you are doing. Matters to Jesus. Everybody in the room needs to. Take a time out and just let that sink in. What you have done for him, unto him, and what you are doing matters to Jesus. He sees it, he has seen it. And I've paused on this several times uh, throughout this uh, series, but it's important to do because it's encouraging. Because we live in a time where uh, unless you self-promote, people probably don't even know what you're doing. And you might wonder, does anybody matter? Does it matter to anybody? Does anybody care? But what does matter is who does care. And there is someone who has seen your deeds. I can't say that that's me. I mean, I suppose we could all do better as a leadership team, you know, recognizing and applauding and all that things. And there's paperback books galore that tells us we need to do this and have thumbs up and give away stickers and stuff. But all of that's all of that is is well and good and it's ethical and it's right. But the bottom line for believers is there is one who knows your deeds. He knows your love. He knows your faith. He has seen your servants, your service, and he knows your perseverance. And I like this next part as well. He knows that their deeds of late are greater than they were at first. Their love is greater now than it was at first. Their faith is greater now than it was at first. Their service is greater now. Than even at first, even their perseverance has increased, their willingness to keep going when it's not popular or not fun or not convenient. They keep going. It's greater. This is in stark contrast to, to the message to Ephesus where the Lord says, boy, you need to return to your first love. It's less than. These people are living in a greater than. Perhaps it is the, the law, I don't know, golly, uh, Jeremy was talking about physics earlier. I don't know if it's just the law of thermodynamics or whatever law it is, but it's some sort of a law of, that says that things decay, right? Uh, there's a, things begin, and then there's a decay. There's a decay in creation. There's a slowdown of spinning. Whatever has happening decreases, except except for in the kingdom of God. And what's important is that in the kingdom and in the church, we not import the idea that we start off doing real well, that we hit cruise control, that we save up enough and then and then kick it into retirement. I understand that in our economic system, we have working and retirement and that's all of that is well and good. That is not what I'm talking about. Don't, nobody should hear that. But I am talking about in the economy of the kingdom and in the life of a servant, a disciple of Jesus Christ, there is not a law of decay. Well, there there is a a, a pattern, but it is not to be our practice. What we see at Thyatira is that our life in Christ should crescendo. There should be an ever-increasingness to our faith. An ever-increasingness to our love. I have said to people since I was a kid, and I don't like to reference, you know, geeky stuff all the time, but it's part of the framework of my life, I guess. But I've always, I always remember saying as a kid that I said, you know what, when, I, when, I, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm 147 years old or whatever, you know, I want to be, I want to be frighteningly powerful in the Holy Ghost. You know, I want to be that Yoda guy. Like, oh my gosh, he's, you know, he's 147, but man, you know, it, it, there's just like, there's more, in, I don't, I don't want to decrease, I don't want to retire. And we just cannot, and this is not the point of the whole message, but we just cannot ever have that kind of mentality. We cannot ever become a Hezekiah who says, hey, it's all right. As long as it's okay in my generation, I'll let the next guys worry about it. I'll just kick back. That's why we keep going. That's why we keep working. That's why we keep sowing. That's why we keep improving. That's why we do everything. Everything should crescendo. Because we can and we should. And because, number one, Jesus sees it and appreciates it. Jesus appreciates and celebrates increase in our love and our faith and our servants and our perseverance. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Further, I'm impressed that Jesus describes Christianity and not, not so much or not just in only ontological terms, but in teleological terms. Meaning, he's not, he doesn't just see us as uh, believers in Jesus. He doesn't just describe us in terms of being or existing. He describes us in terms of doing. Chris, being a Christian is not just something I call myself. It is something I do. It is everything I do. Verse 20, though, here's the concern. But, but I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bond servants. Boy, every time I read this, I, it's a good, it's a, if, I, if, I, if I take two weeks to study, I would be twice as long. Because every word then starts talking to me. Do you hear that? And she teaches and leads my bondservants. Yeah, you see that? You feel that? He's just taking it personally. These are people that he's purchased, that have given their lives to him, that belong to him, and she's hijacking them. You've got to feel that because what comes next, you've got to figure out, where did that come from? It comes from this, my bondservants. A bondservant is someone not forced into service, but someone who has willingly and lovingly given themselves. A bondservant is, I could step away, but I have, as a gift of my will, surrendered myself to you. Jesus has earned the gift of will. These are the people who have given their whole will to Christ, who have surrendered to him because he deserves it, he commanded it, he paid for it, but he didn't force it. These are his bondservants, and this person, comes along and teaches and leads them astray. What kind, of, what kind of Savior wouldn't take that personally? Do you really want a Savior who's ambivalent to that? You want a Lord who doesn't mind, who's not paying attention? They lead my bondservants astray, so they commit acts. See, you hear this? There's a, this is how John writes. Look for patterns. I know your deeds. Now he's talking about other acts. You're going to hear this again about deeds that are good and deeds that are wrong. He's going to follow this pattern. Not part of the study. That's for more fun. They commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. The concern that Jesus has is that the church in Thyatira, they are tolerating something. Not necessarily participating in it. The other fellers, there was some participation. But here's what's unique about Thyatira. He said, my concern is that you are tolerating this. To tolerate here means to be devoid of feeling. Literally, they were aware of it, but they didn't care. Jesus cares that they don't. What were they tolerating? What were they tolerating? <laughs> Once again, it's rhetorical, I'll tell you. Uh, uh, what they were tolerating was this. Jesus actually tells us, a, a prophetess, where put, your, put your quotes up there, a prophetess or a, this, a woman leader who was called Jezebel. Now, Ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you're recognizing a pattern that Jesus is talking to John. John is writing things down, and this is going through the filter of John, the Jewish boy. Now, what you need to know about John is he's a good Jewish boy, and everything, every, his whole frame of reference is Old Testament. So everything that John is going to process is going to have an Old Testament connection. That's why he said these, the, the, the Nicolaitans, uh, they, they were oh, that's, they, they were like, They're like Balaam. And this gal, who's his prophetess, what she's doing is she's influencing false worship and sensuality. She's exercising manipulative control. And for John, as he's processing, he's in, in this communion with Jesus, he's like Jezebel. Jezebel is, functions here as a synonym, as a prototype or an archetype of, of someone whose influence is promoting wickedness. So what we have is a female leader who calling herself a prophetess, but she is her, she is exercising influence that is promoting wicked behavior, and the church was tolerating her. They were they were and that, see we were we use that word today and it, it's like a virtue or something, which is just not it's not in the Bible. It's not a virtue at all. They were, in other words, they were aware, but they were like, hey, you know, hey, teach his own. You know, whatever nonsense. I, I, I don't want to get carried away and get angry here, so I've got to simmer down. Uh, it's not my fault. I, I, you know, it's the Bible. It's just, it's full. It's, this is an intense note here. The acts of immorality and meat offered to idols. Okay, let's come back to this whole issue of idolatry. What do you mean? Some people, precious people, I was reading, you know, trying to try to have conversations with people that are talking about this text. And I I, I ran across several that said something to the effect of they would get to the meat sacrifice to idols part and and they would just dismiss it saying, well, we don't do that anymore. So that we that part doesn't apply to us. And let's just go to the part that matters. And I'm thinking, golly, I I go back to these are the words of the son of God. So I'm going to go ahead and go, well, wait a minute. Let me just listen. Now, I know that elsewhere in Colossians, Paul said that people who act in greed, that greed is idolatry. But, and while that's true, that's not necessarily the vein of what's being addressed here. And I've I, I grown up, of course, and many of you have grown, grown up and here in church, and we get the idea that idolatry is just when something is more important than, you know, Jesus. Okay, yeah, oh, all right, I'm not, that, that's not wrong, it's just that I'm not satisfied with that. I'm not satisfied with more important, why? Because I find it too subjective, and I actually find it too measurable. As if there are degrees of idolatry? What? That would be like a a, a degree of of fornication. You're either a fornicator or you're not. You know, you, Mrs. Dad was home with the kids, but I could you you know I couldn't say I, I had a little fornicate. You know, no one would say that. N- that would not be okay. And so I don't think you know, like degree. Oh, I have a little idolatry. So let me just posit this, if I may. I I I think in this particularly here, and we'll flesh this out. that When we are talking about idolatry here and meat offered offered to idols, we're talking about an idea or a narrative that has as its pretense that God does not exist. Or that he somehow exists as an equal or a lesser degree, or he, uh, he, some sort of an equal or a lesser to another power. The idea that there is a power that God is not or that he is just one of. Idolatry says either God does not exist or God exists in a less exclusive and less powerful state than he has claimed. And then the, to practice that idolatry then is to acknowledge or to support or to endorse or to honor or to celebrate or participate in that kind of idea. Like, for instance, in Thyatira, there were, the, there were two things that happened. There were feasts for the dead, and more commonly, there were guild dinners. So if you were part of any of these, you know, the, the purple cloth crew or the, you know, this kind of fabric thing or this kind of uh, textile group, Uh, these guilds would get together, and they would have celebration dinners. And it was absolutely essential. If you were going to engage in commerce, have a job, sell anything, you were going to be successful in any way economically. You had to be part of these dinners. But each of these dinners began with a feast, a dedication to their patron god, their patron deity, you know, the purple cloth guy. And you understand what they were doing is, you can see, you could see people going, oh, come on, it's no big deal, right? No big deal. But what they were doing was they were honoring an idea that either God is not or he is less than he is. By participating in this, they were practicing idolatry. And what bothers me about My own definition here is that it it fits a great deal of the stories we celebrate and participate in today. Things that begin with the premise that God does not exist. or, 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 Or that somehow he might have colleagues. But this Jezebel... Is again that's a nickname here, to so a caricature. She's the main voice for immorality, and that after a while Jesus just calls it immorality. It's the one lump sum. She's the main voice for immorality and idolatry, and she is somehow her her ministry is either in the church or it's very near the church. That's why why you say, Dad, why do you say that? Well, because of the distinction Jesus makes. He, he, he's, he, the whole church isn't practicing this. This doesn't seem to be an infection in the church in terms of behavior, but they're aware of her. And it seems like there's even, a, and there seems like there's a majority of the church that's not practicing these things. So she's either near the church or she might be just or, or in it or near it. She may have actually been, don't get upset here, she might have been sort of a, a, a parachurch ministry. Like coming alongside, because she this this way she would not be directly accountable to church leadership, but she could be spiritual and influential. She called herself a prophet, but she actually championed the influence of immorality. Friends, I need us to be aware, or to beware, because that's the word Jesus used. Beware! He'll use that in a minute. Beware those clothed in religious attire who reject accountability and defend immorality. You may hear from them that if you don't agree with or see things their way, that you are less enlightened. You are less informed. You are, in fact, misinformed or have largely misunderstood the Bible or the true intent of the Bible. Beware of people who present a morality that must adjust to accommodate good intentions. There is a morality that is measured by intention and not behavior. Hey, they mean well, they love each other, they do that, therefore it must be good. No! No! That is a spirit of Jezebel. And the Son of God is less than pleased with it. Now I'm not asking you to start clapping here. Don't. You can say Amen. It's true, but this is this is a little scary. It's a little scary because I was at dinner with friends the other night, and and my wife forbade me to mention names. But I was talking about this, and all of a sudden, it doesn't happen that I get speechless often. But my mouth dropped, and I lost, I lost the capacity to speak. And the Lord said, what's wrong with you? What's the matter? And I began to hear names of people in contemporary social media contexts that have clothed themselves in spiritual superiority and have intentionally led and taught the people of God, the bondservants of Jesus, further into immorality. I said, my God, that's who it is. And the Lord said, you, don't say their names. I said, okay, because of the camera. I don't know why, but I'll do what she says. Apparently, last week I said on camera that I actually stand out there and tell people wrong church. I said, did I say that on camera? Yeah, you did. I just do it for my own amusement. The problem is that the church in Thyatira had not dealt appropriately with this influence. And Jesus says, Here's the problem. You tolerate the influence of immorality. And their, tolerant, what they, they, their, their toleration of this had become, by default, promotion. Hear this, dear church, dear families. What you excuse, others will amplify. Especially those coming after you. Those looking to you. What you excuse, what you tolerate, what you wink at, will be glared at. What you overlook will be amplified. What is tolerated in one generation will be celebrated by another. Thyatira had ceased to be bothered by the influence of immorality in her midst. And this is what Jesus had against the church. Now concerning this Jezebel, the son of God has more to say. And I've got to be faithful to the text and let him say it. You ready? I'll try to watch our time. Jesus says in verse 21, this is so powerful, so beautiful. Listen to him. I gave her time to repent. Do you hear the heart of God there? I gave her time to repent. What does Jesus want? Punishment or repentance? He wants repentance. I gave her time to repent. But you understand that if, he just, if, he go, if it goes unrestrained, the infection will spread. The destruction will continue. I gave her time to repent, but listen. And she does not want to repent of her immorality. This is important. He's given her time to repent, but she does not want to. In other words, the problem is not ignorance. It's arrogance. Behold, verse 22, behold, which means everybody look. Come on, nobody look away. Everybody everybody, sir, everybody look. Come on, say, everybody look. Look, I will throw her onto a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. It is not unusual for Scripture to use a play on words here and to use irony as a lesson. See, instead of a bed of immorality, <laughs> see what Jesus is saying here? See what he's laying down? He said, if she wants a bed so much, I'll give her one. That list, that's Jesus. This is the same guy who wrote those Old Testament things with all of those, those double, double entendres in the Hebrew. It's full of it. And here he goes again. Now, the words of sickness aren't in the text. But they are implied that what, hap- that what he's saying is that if she desires that bed, I'm going to, there, she's going to get a bed. But it's going to be a bed with all of the consequences of her immorality. And it very well is some sort of of the, the the physical manifestation. We know, we know, you can't do that stuff and not get sick. That kind of stuff is going to make a mess of your body. It could even be that the demonic spirits to whom she is practicing honor will be unrestrained. Now, friends, this is not a proof text to say. In case anybody in the house says, "Oh, here we go! It's God's will for us to be sick for our spiritual formation," he's not. This is not a disciple who's doing wonderful in Sunday school, and the next lesson she needs is some sort of deadly disease. And now you, now you chuckle at that, but there's tons of stuff out there that says, "Well, you know, the Lord's just going to send stuff to you to help you grow up." No, He will not. They will not. However. This is a text that says this, that neither sin nor sickness is his pleasure. In some cases, sickness of some sort may actually accompany unrepented sin. But neither of those things needs to remain. You need to hear the words of Jesus unless they repent. This is what Jesus wants, repentance. He wants us to recognize the wrong, reverse the course, and return to what is right. That's why James says, "And pray, you know, anoint them with oil, pray over them, anoint them with oil, and if they have sin, they'll be forgiven. The Lord will raise them up, and if they have sin, they'll be forgiven. He wants none of that junk in our life. This is what Jesus wants, repentance, not punishment. But if they do not repent, here's verse 23, and I will kill her children with pestilence. Take a deep breath. He's not against the kids' ministries. (laughs) Children means specifically those who are following after her influence. And in this, what what he means is that Jezebel becomes the spiritual mother for all who practice and endorse what's called antinomian or lawless libertine doctrines. Pestilence will accompany those who follow after those teachings. He actually says this, I will destroy with death. Those who follow after her wickedness. That is shocking. It is disturbing. It is even frightening. But it is absolutely essential that we see that heaven views immorality and idolatry with moral horror. Moral horror. It is not okay. If you don't see it the way the Son of God sees it, you're seeing it wrong. You're seeing something that will destroy you, that is absolutely contrary to His matchless, passionate love for you. He has dealt and He will deal with sinful rebellion because of His great love. Finally, the, 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 Jesus says, when he does this, listen, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. The result of his intervention will send this very specific message, all the churches, all the audiences of this letter, that's you and me. Someone say, that's you and me. All the audiences of this letter will know that the son of God has eyes like burning flame that he sees and that he searches our minds and our hearts. He gazes perfectly upon our will, our affections and our thoughts and nothing is hidden from his view. And he gives to each one of us according to our deeds. Now, I can't say whether or not Jesus intends specifically here to mean an immediate recompense and reward, but I do know that there will be an ultimate response from heaven for how we have lived our lives. This is what Revelation concludes with this. Revelation chapter 18, verses 4 through 18. Particularly, listen to this, particularly in comparison to what Jesus has already said about this Jezebel. Listen to what he says about Uh, 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 In verse uh, chapter 18, I heard another voice, John says, from heaven, saying, come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she has paid and give back to her double according to her deeds in the cup, which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her. To the degree that she has glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree, give her torment and mourning. For she says in her, her heart, I sit as a queen, and I am not a widow. I will never see any mourning. For this reason, in one day, her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 through 15, John says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The books and a book. Say that with me, please, clearly out loud. The books and a book. Those are different. Listen, there's, there's a process here. There's a bunch of books, and then there's just one. And the dead were judged according to... To the things, pardon me, the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. So there's there's books. Our life is written down. And he will respond to those things. And then? They were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then verse 14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, the book, he was thrown into the lake of fire. We got we got to get some more names in that book. We we got we have we have to be responsible for 10,000 more names. I, I don't know. I, I like like half the faith left the room just now. Did you feel that? We have to be responsible for to make sure there's ten thousand more names in that book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Finally, listen to Revelation twenty two twelve. This is Jesus again. Behold, everybody say, "I look look. look, look." Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to each. According to what he has done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Therefore, let all the churches know that he sees, he records, and he rewards. And he judges. And how you live this life will matter when you stand before Christ. It will not be up to you. It will not depend upon the likes that you get on social media. It will not depend on what celebrity agrees with you or how those who disagree with you are mocked. It, doesn't, it will not matter what friends support you. It will only, it will only matter what the Son of God thinks. And then Jesus says, But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you. The deep things of Satan here refers to what Jesus thinks of the teachings of the followers of Jezebel. We could explore that a little bit more, but it's not necessary for us. The language here is actually intentionally reminiscent of the Jerusalem council in Acts 15. The elders there determined under the influence of the Holy Spirit that no other burden should be placed on the Gentile churches than to abstain from sexual immorality and idolatry. You hear it again. I'll place no other burden. It sounds just like Acts 15. Same Holy Spirit talking. Nevertheless, Jesus says this. Here's the main imperative. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. Would you all say, until he comes? He is coming. He is coming. Until I come is our finish line. That is what we are living for. Until I come. And until he comes, this is the main imperative hold fast. I want everybody to say, hold fast. This is the command. This is what he says to the church. All everything else he says is true, but this is what he wants them to do. Hold fast. Be strong. Don't just hang on. Hold fast. This is the same language that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. It probably serves as the best explanation and application for what Jesus has in mind. Paul says this, therefore, my beloved brethren... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Let the deeds of late be greater than the first. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. Why? Because He's coming, and His reward is with Him. Keep keep those deeds going. Keep on in love. Keep on in faith. Keep on in service, keep on in perseverance, because to him who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds again until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. He'll rue them with a rod of iron and the vessel as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. So as, also, uh, as I also have received authority from my father, I will give him the morning star. Whoa. What does that mean? His reward is worth it. Come on, say that out loud with me, please. His reward is worth it. This particular reward set implies that those who overcome will be rewarded with great authority and responsibility in the age to come. Whatever else you get from this list of promises in verses 26 and 27, get that. Get this. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him and His reward is worth it keep on keep on keep on hold fast his reward is worth it his reward is worth your resolve his reward is worth your purity and the pain of right choices and the discomfort of being unpopular and even the vitriol who may not like your truth telling his reward is worth your love His reward is worth your faith. His reward is worth your service. His reward is worth your perseverance. Keep on. Come on, stand and say it out loud. Keep on. Keep on. Hold fast. Because He sees, He records, and He rewards. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church.